Hi everyone, I'm your host, Liana Pavane, founder of TTYL, human connection advocate, certified life coach, and most importantly, a human that's just trying to figure it out. I'm your unapologetic 20-something native New Yorker, advocating selfships, yes, I'm in a relationship with myself, while navigating the dating world. I'm on a mission to break down dating stigmas in our society and to stop ghosting. I started this podcast after my ex broke up with me over the phone. I know, at least it wasn't a post-it. And I realized that our dating etiquette was severely lacking due to technology. Each week, I invite guests onto the podcast from all walks of life to discuss their first date horror stories and best dates. Because let's be honest, we don't focus on the positives enough when it comes to dating. The best part about this podcast is that after each episode, I've walked away feeling more confident about myself and my relationships. So whether or not you're single, in a relationship, or find yourself in a situationship, I welcome you to get comfy as I dive into the uncomfy so we can normalize it together. Hi, everyone. Before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to tell you guys some exciting things that are happening with the podcast. So the first is I have an email. It's ghostofdatespast at gmail.com. You can email me if you have feedback, if you want to be a guest. So please email me. I'd love, love, love to hear from you. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok at ghost underscore of dates past. Give me a follow, DM me, screenshot me your dating app conversations. I want to hear from you. And my personal Instagram is at Liana Colada. I post some different stuff there. So if you want to learn more about my personal life and what I'm all about, you can follow me there. Let's dive in to today's episode. I'm super excited to have this conversation as always, and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ghost of Dates Past. I'm super excited about today's episode, as I am every episode. I always say that, but this one is super special because I'm here with two amazing people, Mary Allard and David Gaines. They are co-hosts of the Third Place Pod, and Mary has a degree in Contemplative Psychology of Health and Healing. She's trained in Authentic Leadership Styles, and she's currently the co-host of the Third Place Pod. She's the business development director for La Terza Coffee, founder of Five Element LLC, mentor for the Eating Disorder Foundation, and most recently co-founder of the Element Movement, a platform designed to equip young females with the ability to identify, embrace, and articulate their unique experience in the world. She's residing in Colorado as a mom, yogi, and mountain biker. I love that. Your bio is just so impressive. And then we have David, equally as impressive, who is the CEO and chief visionary for La Terza Coffee, a full-service coffee resource that provides the highest quality coffee to consumers, as well as equipment and education for restaurants and coffee shops. People come to La Terza to open a shop and have a passion for community, but encouraging people to gather around for a drink and stay for healthy conversations can be a difficult business model. This was the catalyst for why David wanted to launch Third Place Podcast, a way to explore the gray space where deeper connections are fostered. He lives in Cincinnati with his wife, Beth, and two sons, Parker and Lincoln. I'm super pumped to dive into this conversation. And since you're both in long-term committed relationships with children, we're doing things a little bit differently this episode rather than talking about first date horror stories and best first dates. 
we are actually going to explore what you guys do on solo dates. So I think David is going to take it away first and tell us what he does on his solo dates. So welcome, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, well, thanks for having us on your platform. We're, We're really excited to be here. And I love the idea of the solo date, too, because... And it's something that we refer to on the Third Place podcast on a regular basis. What does that self-care really look like? And I think in in terms of relationship, that solo date is a foundational idea that is really important to the health of any relationship, whether you're still in the dating phase of relationship or if you are in a committed phase of relationship. Just like, you know, within marriage, one of a great piece of advice is to go on dates still. I think the idea of going on solo dates is equally important to that just because it still helps you to be your own person. It still helps you to to hone in on who your identity is and it. And by giving yourself the space to have that solo date, it really enables you to be your best version of yourself and then bringing your best version of yourself to the any relationship is, of course, a great thing. So for me, when I think of about a solo date, I I'm a huge expert. That's one of the reasons why I am enjoying so much being a podcast host and why we do the third place podcast is in many ways we're externally processing lots of really great conversations and ideas. But I do also crave that weekly just internal headspace where I can truly get out on my own. And for me, nature is a great space to connect. I I love being a part of the the dirt and and the fresh air and the sun and even the rain like rainy days i love rainy days so i'm a little bit weird in that one but i would say my favorite self date is when i go on just a long bike ride 20 to 50 miles country roads yeah just the the wind against my face and and just being in those elements and you know so that would that would probably be my favorite date and and the best way of my solo date would end would be a long bike ride kind of wearing myself out and then rejuvenating with like a a nice cold beer at the end or two. (laughs) I love that. It's so, yeah, getting outside in nature and just exploring yourself and seeing what thoughts come up is so important. And yeah, to continue doing that through marriage, I think is also a really great piece of advice because a lot of people don't think about that. Don't think about setting proper dates. And I think that's something that my parents, I I watched them go on dates very often growing up and they would, uh, you know, I would have a babysitter and they'd be going out for dinner, they'd be going to theater and all these things. So that's something that I really admire and want to instill in whenever I get married one day, this idea of continuing to have that time together. But then also my parents are very independent and they have their their solo time and their separate time to do their own activities and things. So I love everything you said. So yeah, in terms of on the third place pod, there's a lot of discussion about this gray space and the uncomfy conversations. And so confrontation, I think, is a huge topic of conversation. It's difficult for both people. And so I'm wondering from your experiences and research, what have you found is the reason why people find it so hard to have these difficult conversations in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with this one. I think that, you know, as a whole, our society is really struggling with how to have hard conversations, period. And we, we can just look at politics. Like, we clearly have many big issues to talk through, and we don't have the tools to talk through them. And so that's that's really the heart behind the Third Place podcast is how, how do we create the safe environments to have these conversations that are so desperately needed? And in a 
all levels of relationship. So obviously in terms of dating, it's very intimate spaces, but publicly, you know, we need to have figure out how to have the hard conversations as well. You know, and, and even with the, the idea of what the third place is, if you don't know, third place traditionally gets its name from the coffee world and beverage in general. Like it's not your home, it's not your work, but a coffee shop is kind of like this community living room where, and ultimately uh, when I think of a coffee shop that's really embodying the third place well, it is a safe place for all of those levels of relationship. So I think of a coffee shop as a great place to go on a date, as well as meeting someone for the very first time and then every level of relationship in between. So some of my closest relationships, and there's one person who became a really great friend of mine. We were, we were working on a similar project when I first met her. I met her in the digital space. And I'm like, man, you wrote this article. I'm working on so many of the same things. We should meet. You live in Cincinnati. And the coffee shop space is what allowed us to evolve our relationship to a very good friend level. So it's just really hard. You know, one of the things about having confrontation or having difficult conversations is we have to be vulnerable. And the more intimate we are with someone, the more we have to become vulnerable too. Well, that's all really good and that's all really healthy, but it's also always risky. The more vulnerable we are, the more pain that we're opening ourselves up to. Right. And that's why when dating relationships end poorly, that's why it hurts so bad, because our whole vulnerability is exposed. So it's just a dance. I think it really does come down to we have to take some risk, you know, and we have to be aware that we're going to invite pain in. But that's also where knowing us, knowing ourselves is just so important to do that so we can be open. You know, we have to be true to ourselves, too. Yeah, we did two episodes on difficult conversations just as we really started the podcast, too, because it's such a theme that's interwoven throughout everything that we do. I mean, we literally invite in and lean into awkward conversations. And so every single one of the the chats or interviews that we have has this as an element of it. And when we talked to a psychologist that really knew what she was talking about more than I had even discovered in in my teaching and training in psychology. Biologically, we seek out the avoidance of threat, right? So I think that that's really important to remember that it's like, it's biologically, we're trying to avoid it at all costs. And also, what happens in our brain is is serving the avoidance, right? So when we are in what we consider a state of threat, which usually is what happens as a byproduct of a difficult conversation or something that's uncomfortable for us, even if it's a mild difficult conversation, no matter what, the body will and the brain will receive it as threat. So the prefrontal cortex where we actually have our logic, where that sits, really gets quite muted and we end up being in more of our limbic brain or the emotional brain and the psychologist that we spoke to she put out this number that I thought was baffling our limbic brain our emotional brain in these moments is 30,000 times more powerful when we feel a sense of threat so it's hard for us to even hold productive conversations when it's difficult it gets very emotional very quick and that is not only biological from having to avoid threat and being prepared, but it's it can be challenging to know what tools you can resource in an instant to be able to click back into your prefrontal cortex instead of your limbic brain. Wow. 
That is fascinating. I love the the addition of the psychology behind it because I wasn't aware of that. And that is so interesting. And I think it makes sense though. It's that kind of flight or fright reaction, right? <laughs> yeah, fight fight or flight. Fight you know, or fight. Or, yes. Or fight or fleet. Like there's so many yeah. different ways that, that it can manifest depending on who you are. I think back to when I was a kid and I would get super defensive when especially my mom would try and edit my work or correct me or tell me that I did something wrong because I looked up to her so much as my emotional support. So it makes a lot of sense when that person that provides you with that is then critiquing you. It's you kind of have that that reaction of, whoa, what's going on? You're attacking that that part of me, that emotion. And so that's something that I've worked through and have been working on as taking constructive criticism, not in a super harsh way as just a way to improve as a way to continue to grow. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember someone told me it's like take advice in the spirit it was given. And I think that that was something that really sinks in with me. And I think that when we're having conversations with anyone where we put value on the relationship, so especially new relationships or budding relationships or established, no matter where they're at, when there's a value exchange, it's really challenging to to not let it become emotional, to, to keep, to stay in that logic brain because there's a value exchange happening and I think it's just more about being aware of that. And David, I feel like you, you once told me this this concept that I think would be like really helpful for even putting it more into context. There was a quote that that really has resonated with me that I came across just a few months ago, and I've not really even said it out loud in our podcast, but it's stuck. The furthest distance in the whole universe. So you think of all the how massive the universe is, but the furthest distance in the whole universe is the space between two minds. You know, what's inside of my head and what's inside of your head? Because, you know, even when we talk about the the brain and the way they work, the logic part of our brain and the emotional part of our brain don't do a good job of communicating to each other. So even in our own head, it's it's hard to understand all of the emotions. Like think about when you, we think about the word love, we have one word that describes my love for my spouse, my love for my friends, my love for pizza. Clearly three different vastly different things, right? And so that logic part of the brain is where all the words are and the emotional parts of the brain, we, we don't have great words for all of the emotions that are inside our own head. So it, how do I, there's a barrier then to communicate exactly how I feel to somebody else. And when I say a word, what I mean with that word may or may not be the exact same way that word is heard in somebody else's head. So I just love that phrase, the furthest distance in the whole universe is the space between the two minds. And it, it just takes a lot of work to be clear. And I think that that is part of our why conversations are so hard. Yeah, I love that so much. Well, exclusive content, if you haven't said it on your podcast before. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, and I also, the word love, my favorite quote about the word love that I just heard from Brene Brown's podcast, she was interviewing an Auschwitz survivor a female Auschwitz survivor, which is very rare. Yeah, Mary's nodding. And she said, love is a four-letter word that spells time. And I just, that that is everything to me because, I mean, my love language is quality time. So that's a super important, I get, yeah, this makes sense. <laughs> 
And you know what? That that quote that very well may have been a guest on Brene Brown's podcast that said that because that that's that sounds familiar. So <laughs> shout out to Brene Brown for sure. I know. She's the best. I love her. So yeah, in terms of getting into the nitty gritty, giving people some tips, I think especially in dating, and we'll delve more into those kinds of conversations, but just being vulnerable with someone you're in a relationship with, especially a new relationship, can be difficult. There's, I think, this fear that... If we approach someone, if we confront someone, they would leave us. And that's an anxious attachment style that a lot of people have. And so what would you say are some good tips for someone who's nervous to approach a difficult conversation with someone in their life? You know, it doesn't have to be romantic, but I think there are friendship conversations, family conversations and the like. Yeah. Well, I think what's been tricky, especially about this last year, is that a lot of these conversations are happening in a digital way. And I would say that one of the first things I would typically say is to take it offline. So just want to acknowledge that there's there's a, a deficit there. There's, you know, we just talked about how it's hard to understand and receive where someone's coming from, even person to person, the power of body language and the ability to see human to human. So there's 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 a lot of challenge being that we've been in a digital space. But with that also being said, what another tip I usually say is, you know, what we kind of refer to as like mindful negotiation and, and that actually in the digital space, this can serve you because what happens is you can prepare, you can think through, you can, you can be a little bit more intentional about what you're saying, how you're responding. And I think that in mindful approaches to difficult conversations, some of those, like having your talking points leading in with uh, curiosity and humility. We speak a lot about that on our podcast too, that the the most productive, challenging conversations are rooted in our ability to remain curious without it being charged or setting someone up and to tap into our own humility and humble nature so that we can like have a beginner's mind, leave things up for surprise, not feel like you're anticipating an end result or wanting to hear something specific from them without having said it. So those are some of the things. And David, do you want to expand on some of the other little tips? Yeah, well, just the the curiosity and humility, I think is just so important. You know, we have we all have very strong opinions. So, of course, conflict is rooted in our perspectives of, of the world and, and things like that. So, But they are very, very limited. It's not that you shouldn't have strong opinions. We, sh- of course, should have strong opinions. But realize that our opinions evolve and change over time. The way that I see the world now is very different than what I saw five years ago. And so even my own opinions have changed. But one of the things I think that's important about as a foundation of the whole curiosity and humility is where we have a one in seven billionth perspective of this human experience. So again, we can bring our experiences to the table. That's what we have. And that's certainly what shapes our opinion. But I tell people quite often that I'm going to have these strong opinions. I also assume I'm going to be wrong because I only have a one in seven billionth perspective, you know, and I'm aware, like I'm white, I'm middle class, I'm American, I speak English. All of these things are lenses that has helped shape my opinion. And when we can come into that space with that curiosity, like, tell me more, tell me more about your experiences. How do you see the world? Then all of a sudden that is the foundation of 
of getting to a hard conversation and that humility of I'm going to have strong opinions, but I'm probably wrong because I have this one in seven billion perspective. That's where that humility sets up the space to create that safety for that hard conversation. Yeah. And I'll just add that like the level of depth in your relationship is also going to be something that's important to acknowledge because that usually when you think of like what you said, love is, you know, a four letter word for time. Time then creates love, right? So so as you have more love, then the hope is that there's more trust and safety there so that you can put your foot in your mouth or not say something perfectly or eloquently or not have to like come with these mindful negotiation, preparation, talking goals or, or talking points or tactics because the hope is that you can be tactic free in order to start to entertain more and more difficult conversations. But in the upfront, especially in the dating world, that safety is not established and it gets established over time. And I think that the best way to establish it over time is to entertain these conversations up front to see what is, is this safe water? And you can build trust quite rapidly when you entertain them earlier on, but not at the expense of your, of your own feeling of safety. You know, we don't want to be constantly clicking into fight or flight. That's horrible for the nervous system. Yeah. I love everything you guys said. I think hitting on the points of technology. I think we have the unique opportunity, especially, I mean, this is something that I practice whenever someone did something that upset me, or I feel like I need to talk to someone about something, I'll usually take a step back because I'm coming at it from a place of anger, of course, at first. And you kind of feel this, I I feel radiating energy, like every cell in my body is just exploding when I'm angry and upset about something. And I know I need to breathe. I need to let that settle. I, it's not that that's a bad emotion to feel. Of course not. If that's the emotion you're feeling, let that in. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that, to let it settle and then realize, okay, what is really going on? What is, what are the things that are actually happening with this situation that are bothering me, that are making me feel this way? And then I always say, sleep on it, take 24 hours and draft and practice having that conversation in the mirror to a friend, to your mom, you know, whoever it is that you need to have the conversation to, because then someone might say, oh, give you feedback, give you advice if you want that. And I think it's just a great way, or even writing it down. Sometimes I write people letters that I don't send, writing people letters as a form of practice, and then kind of taking what I want, leaving what I don't from from that letter, from what I wrote. And I think going into that conversation, I just feel more prepared. Yeah, this couples therapist really brought this incredible visual to me a few years ago, where anger you know, which is can be a positive emotion. We talk about how anger can also be a catalyst for change. And it's like, it's not just this negative thing. But anger, if you think about it, if you had someone slam a, a rock or a stake into the ground, it's a vibration. So it affects everyone within that vibration. And so it's important to know that how to manage that fire so that it, the vibration doesn't just hit someone on their way out. And Instead, what are some productive ways for you to process that and not necessarily transfer that anger just to someone else? Because the vibration will just transfer. And personally, I have a four-year-old at home. My husband and I 
really want to be intentional about not having difficult conversations or conflict in front of our child. And we went through a couple of stages where we would actually text in the house to have a conversation so that it wasn't in front of him. But we we quickly found that that was not productive. But I've heard from a lot of parents that that has been a tactic. It's like where they've tried to do that or they've, because otherwise it's like having a conversation when the only hour you have is your most exhausted hour at the end of the night is also not a good time to have a difficult conversation. So it can feel like, well, when are we going to address this without it just sort of fleeting and never having attention. So I just wanted to share that I've, I've heard that some people have tried to do that, but that it still was not was not good because it was that digital space lost in translation and that it's really just more about David David calls on the 24 hour rule a lot. And I think you sort of dressed that where you you pause and you give yourself the 24 hours so that you can be in your prefrontal cortex too. David, you you do that with your wife a lot, right? Yeah, well, and and also just it's become a rule of of our team here in our business and 24 hour rule speaks to the internal processor as well as the external processor. So there's generally the men in a relationship have earned a reputation to bottle things in. So the 24 hour rule, the way we we look at it is you have 24 hours to get it out. And so if there's something that bothers you and it's still bothering you 24 hours later from the incident, then you have to get it out. You're not allowed to bottle it in. But for the external processor, sometimes they'll just, the smallest thing will make them angry. And it's really like you left the milk out. No big deal, right? You put it away. So the 24 hour rule works really well with the external processor as well because it says hey a lot of the things that maybe make you angry really fast aren't really a big thing and so if there is something that still is bothering you after that 24-hour period of time then yeah let's talk about that that's the trigger that's the kind of moment where we know that we should talk about this thing but if you don't even remember why you were angry about something that happened this morning then that's probably not something worth creating the space of tension for and then ultimately, like Mary said, I think that fight or flight emotion, it's not healthy that we are, we would live in that space on a regular basis. So that's that's kind of our approach to the 24-hour rule that has really worked well in, in my marriage as well as I've been able to extend it to all of my team members, just in the people I work with too. I love that. I think that's, it's so important because, and, and you know, my mom also always said, never go to bed angry either. And sometimes you do a little bit. But as long as you kind of take a moment to think and pause, maybe approach someone, have a conversation and say, hey, something you said actually really bothered me. I just want to take a moment and I'll get back to you tomorrow. And I'd love to schedule a time to have that conversation. Absolutely. I think that that's so important. And it also speaks to that fight or flight that we referred to a little while ago. If you feel yourself entering in that stage, it's completely appropriate just to say like, hey, this is not okay. But in order to lower the temperature, I don't want to make it worse, right? So I want to come back and talk about this, but I need some space just to like clear my head because I don't want to have an angry conversation, but we do have to talk about this conflict. And and creating that space, like, get, can I have 30 minutes? And you know what? If 30 minutes is not enough, come back at the end of 30 minutes. You know what? I still actually need more time. Let's talk about it in an hour or tomorrow. So I think that that's a great trick in getting us all out of that fight or flight. Because when you keep raising the temperature, eventually there's nowhere to raise it to versus it makes your blood boil. Okay, how do we talk about it in an unboiling state so we can actually talk about it instead of like making make it much more difficult than we really need to. And I to even clarify in practice, 
that 24-hour rule. There, I remember one conversation. I remember don't I don't even remember what it was, but there was something that my wife did, and it was it made me really angry to a point where I'm like, you know what? I know that I'm gonna be mad about this in 24 hours. Like that was a big deal for me. So I just called it out then. Like we don't have to talk about it now. I think I did create that space, but just to let you know, tomorrow I'd like to talk about this because I'm going to be thinking about it tomorrow. So so there's of course modifications to all these guidelines and rules. Yeah, I'm 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 like not I don't like the whole don't go but go to bed angry. I think that it's it's dated at this point because I think it's more about can we acknowledge what mental or emotional state that we're in be able to effectively communicate that and then to set a plan for how we will revisit it and that oftentimes so we we also talk about this really cool acronym that I love called HALT H-A-L-T if you're hungry angry lonely or tired you're not going to be coming from the best version of yourself so it's you have a low chance of having a good conversation so obviously one of the first you know the the tired is in there. So sometimes I think actually the restoration of the nighttime can be the number one thing to actually heal a conflict and that we haven't put enough energy or power behind that, that it could be as simple as that, letting your body reset. That's a really great point. I love that. Yeah. I mean, the whole hangry <laughs> situation. Yeah. Exactly. 100%. <laughs> You're not, I, yeah, we, we did something really funny about that. The whole, yeah, I was like, Snickers was really onto something. You're not you when you're hungry, you know? And I'm like, and then I said, or angry or lonely or tired, right? Those are, those are all the, the different states. And like when, when you think about rearing a child, those, you think of those things all the time. It's so easy for you to have this generous perspective where you're like, my kid's hungry or he's, or, or she is angry or it's hung or it's lonely or tired, but we don't tend to give that generous perspective to our peers or to our bosses or colleagues or friends, whatever it may be. So I think that it's just, I've, I've loved that. It's really helped me to be able to tap into my own compassion and compassion for others when you're having a difficult conversation. I love that. And then moving to the person who is being confronted, kind of, as I mentioned earlier, we get defensive, we we kind of close in and, and don't want to take that constructive feedback. And so what are some good tips for that person in that conversation? Jenner's perspective is really what I would have probably answered that with. So we were already just naturally leaning in that direction. I usually explain this to people in a way that, so if you're cut off in traffic, what's your knee-jerk response or what do you say what's the statement you say to yourself in your head lots of cussing <laughs> i knew david i knew david's answer oh nice that is not mine so i guess i'm the angel in the trio well no it's funny is i don't tend and mary knows this this is kind of a joke between us i don't tend to cuss out loud very often and i do but in my head man <laughs> that's not a good space right so like i just think that a lot of people can really there's a knee-jerk response when something happens and we've all heard this before but like can you assume that someone's rushing to the hospital and then find some compassion can you another thing that i usually have people practice and we made this guided visualization too is who is someone that you have utmost love and compassion for? They can literally do no wrong. Is it your child? Is it your grandmother, grandfather? Is it just a friend that like they do something and they like they're mean to themselves or they are hard on themselves and you have utmost love that they you're constantly mirroring back to them that like they are a radiant being. So this practice that we can do is how can we quickly envision that person when we feel like we're being confronted with a sense of threat. And that can t literally retrain 
the mind and the body in a cool visual way. And so that's one of my favorite things that I try to do. And, you know, I know who I think about, but it can really help in situations where someone cuts you off and you want to flip them the bird. Or if it's something as subtle as you feel misunderstood in a conversation or someone gets your drink order wrong at a cafe, like those are, there's all these like micro moments for us to have opportunities to have empathy and generosity and how we're perceiving the other party. Yeah, thinking about grandma cutting, your own grandma cutting you off in traffic, you're like, well, clearly she would have a good reason to... Yeah, and it, and it brings lightness. I think it's like, how can we just like... My dad had this book, and it was probably pretty cool in the 90s, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, right? And and I remember it was that was his attempt. Like, he was always trying not to get triggered or charged. And I think that that was some of the start to these... These, this concept or this conversation. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think building on that, part of one of the things that I think as our society struggles with having the hard conversations, of course, like all the things that we just talked about, it's it's already in our DNA. It's it's part of the human experience. But we definitely tend to get angry at a lot of the wrong things, I think. It's these small things, like someone made mess up your drink. No big deal. They'll make it again. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Is it really going to be, okay, they want to be one car in front of you. Like, it's going to cause me a half a second delay to get to where I'm going to go or, you know, whatever. Like, we, there's plenty of things to get angry about in this world and these small things probably shouldn't be the things that we get angry about. We did an episode early on in our podcast called Beautifully Angry and one of the ideas around it is some and we hinted at it a moment ago that this anger is actually really good and it's so related to what love is, right? They're really the same coin of passion, you know, and that's why these relationships, especially the deep dating relationships are so hard. It's easy to flip from love to anger because it's the same coin. And I I had to watch a documentary about Mr. Rogers and it, it was a very quick sentence, but they said Mr. Rogers was an extremely angry person. And I'm like, what? And I replayed it and I watched it again. And I'm like, of course, he would be so angry at the things. But he used that anger to, to create children's episodes around the thing that made him angry, around war, around racism. And he used that anger to fuel the content of his show. And I thought that was like one of the most beautiful expressions of how to use anger in a really good way and ul the ultimate definition of what a generous perspective is. So, yeah, I, I think that even just calling out that anger and love are so related to each other, I think is really, really helpful. I know for me, when I when I get confronted, of course, again, it doesn't feel good. I might ask for that space to process. But a, a trick that I've tried to do my best to embody is I assume that I did something wrong. or And, and this actually works the other way, too. If I have an issue with someone about a conflict or a hard conversation, I assume that I'm part of the problem, too. And, you know, maybe I'm only 1% of the problem and the other person's the 99, but I'm going to work really hard on treating the 1% that I bring to the table as it's the 99. And that has helped diffuse conflict within teams in those intimate relationships because, I, of course, I have something to work on. No one's perfect. And I'm, I'm a perfectionist, so I'm striving to be, but I'm not going to ever get there. So I have to assume in any conflict that I'm going to be part of the problem. So I, I can't control the other person, whether it's they own 99 or 50% or they own 1%. I can't control what they do with that. What I can control is my piece of the problem. Mm, yeah, you can always control your reaction. You cannot control others. And that's something that I've really been learning and trying to instill because even recently I was getting frustrated 
when other people say things to me, especially with social media, and they'll respond, and I don't like what they're saying, and I talk to my mom, I talk to my therapist, I'm so upset, this person said something, blah, 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 and they're like, well, you can't really expect people to keep their mouths shut, but you can keep yours shut, you don't have to respond. And so that was a really eye-opening moment for me, just in learning how to control my emotions and where to use my energy and where to not use my energy, because I think we often, we want to say all the things, we want to give people a piece of our mind, but not always a good thing to do. And yeah, so those are all amazing tips. I want to move quickly into Mary's solo experience and what you you do, and then dive more into conversations around relationships specifically. Yeah, so for me, the idea of self-ship is something that I kind of take in like a microdosing way. I think that it's important to not overcomplicate it. And especially when we've all been home a lot this last year and having a family, sometimes it's more about actually getting lots of little moments with myself than one big grand gesture, the dates I used to love in the past, right? Pre-kid. So for me, it looks like, can I unplug, have a bath, have some tea or wine. I definitely love reality TV. So for me, it's like somehow like watching other people's drama, I feel calm, but I maybe because I'm the youngest of five, I'm used to a lot of chaos and energy in the home. So sometimes my home feels quiet, which I think other parents are like, oh my God, you should love boredom. And I hate boredom. So So having that and just feeling like I can be off of responsibility is the best opportunity for me to have a reminder that so often I think as a human, we identify ourselves as I am a mom, I am an entrepreneur, I am a friend, I am this, I am all these things. And like, I think I need to sometimes set a bubble or a boundary of like, I am me, like I need to also have this sense of independence. So it comes in micro moments, and it really doesn't take much. And I sometimes feel like that those micro moments add up to something greater than having these like big grand moments or getaways with myself. I love that. Yeah, the self care is huge for me, just in terms of winding down. And I love winding down with TV and watching, especially during quarantine, watching Mindless or even rewatching shows. Like I want to start rewatching Sex in the City shortly because it's just my mom watches it almost every night too when it's on. She just still loves it. It's still relevant. And I mean, especially with the podcast, it just feels like I can pull great content from it. Oh, it's so perfect. So perfect. My favorite series of all time is The Wonder Years. And I had Back when DVDs were a thing, I had the whole series on DVD, and it's by far my favorite series. And I think that that's what's nice about rewatching things is that there can be like a passive feeling to it, and that a lot of times it's like, how can we just have some passive moments? Because how can we be instead of do all the time? Yep, I say that all the time. We are human beings, not human doings. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of specific to romantic relationships, what are tips that you guys would have on boundary setting? Oh, I can talk. David, can I talk to this one? <laughs> well, you you just did an Instagram post that it's a conversation that you and I have had, but you really put great language around it. 
Well, it's been a it's been a journey for me. So, you know, I am an open book. I've loved that about myself. I've loved the fact that I'm the sort of person that goes there and goes there really quick. And 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 obviously, it makes sense. I mean, our podcast is about that, right? So, I feel like I get to exercise that muscle every day, and I'm grateful for that. But I've also recognized that in work relationships and relationships in general, I've really gotten myself into situations where. I would have benefited from having some built-in boundaries and David really helped me explore that so I've I've started to say no to having as many friendships or relationships and at first I felt like I was doing myself a disservice because it's in my innate tendency to want to have large community of people and I realized that it's less about me saying no to relationships and it's actually more about me requiring that people earn my debt and that reframed it for me because I felt like I felt like I was I was being inauthentic if I wasn't completely stripped down and raw and could tell people all of my childhood trauma and all of this in in one go so that we could get there sooner it's like life's short like I just want to know you let's know each other cut the bullshit and let's just get there and then I've been put in situations where I was like man that was not didn't serve me or I didn't know that it wasn't serving me for a really long time it manifested in other ailments or or stressors or anxieties and that Ultimately, there is something to be said that we, that we are all magical in our own way and that, that it is okay to have others earn your depth. And this has been profound for me only in the last year, but that it's not that I'm inauthentic. It's not that I'm still not open and honest and valuable and lovable, but that it can come with, with that time again, right? It can come with the stages of, and layers of trust and, and relationship. Yeah, that it goes back so much, I think, to that time factor when and love and time being so synonymous with each other. Because as we kind of talk about levels of relationships, I think of them in like five buckets. There's an intimate bucket. There's a personal bucket that is your best friends live in that space. There's this social bucket. There's a public bucket, like things that we have in common, like that's maybe your barista or your favorite server at a restaurant is in that public bucket. And then, of course, this new digital bucket that we're all kind of really still newly in. I mean, think about it. Facebook is a teenager, so or you're not even a teenager. So and teenagers are awkward and weird, right? So we don't know what to do with social media. It's not old enough to know what to do with all of it. There's some great things and there's some not so great things. And it's just being a teenager right now. But with the time factor, like there's only so many relationships available that can fit into that intimate space and it's just based on time so they can be fluid but any any one moment in your life one two maybe three intimate relationships and everybody else kind of expands out you know so if there's the ratio of i like to think of for every one intimate there's two personal there's four social there's eight public and then digital is i don't know yet it's too new so that has really helped, I think, that conversation, too, of earning your depth. It's not that you're inauthentic in that public space or that social space, but time has created the safety for how deep someone can go with you. And they have to earn that time because if I'm going to invite someone into that personal space, that means just based on time, I have to kick somebody else out. And so that's where the tension lies. Mm, I really like that a lot. And that's something that I've learned even in my dating experiences, 
I went on three dates with someone last year and I thought, you know, we were, he even said people are like onions to peel back the layers over and over. And I thought that was such a beautiful thing, but he ended up being one of the most hurtful people to me because I realized I hadn't set boundaries with how much I wanted to share and I share, I overshared. And by oversharing, it actually ended up hurting me because he wasn't ready to receive all that I was. And so I think when dating, it's important to remember to be vulnerable, but not too much too quickly as to push people away because people are intimidated by vulnerability and you kind of have to assess how much the other person is willing to share back to you before you unearth everything about you and I exactly it is all about time it's about time spent with that person with each person so that you can then have more of that love for someone because you respect them you you care so deeply for them that no matter what they're going to say to you they're not going to be so affected by it right and I think you can move through the spaces quickly like it but it at the same pace kind of like you described and then also you mentioned time is a factor that how you feel love that there's different types of time too. Like time with each other at a movie is very different than time two hours hiking. There's just a different avenue to create that depth. Totally, totally. I love that. Kind of delving into the gray area. I think I'm kind of taking this term for me. The gray area of dating is this DTR is what we call it. That define the relationship conversation. I think that's always super scary, especially for heterosexual relationships when it's the woman always feels like if we ask too soon, what are what is the man going to think? It's going to be super needy and blah, blah, blah. So how do, how do, would you say, should people approach this conversation? What are some do's and don'ts there? Yeah, well, so the gray area that we talk about a lot, I don't think David got to get to it, but we've really expanded on the idea of the third place of being this middle me- messy gray. So it's not, it's not this or that as a perspective, but it's this and that. So a lot of times we've, our awkward conversations are like, how can we live in a spectrum way of thinking? And that's, you know, usually in the middle. But the only way that we can have a middle is if we have perimeters, right? And so if we have those boundaries on the extremes. And I think a lot of times it ends up being that once you define those parameters, then you can define what is the gray. What does it mean to be together to you? And what does it mean to be together for the other? And what does it mean to not be together for you and for the other? And then from that place, so it's more like talking about, I'd say that you have to sort of go to the extremes first in order to invite this in between so that you can make your own definition as a duo or a trio or whatever your relationship looks like. Yeah, so that's that's really where we start is that like you can only start to entertain that, that in between third definition, unique definition that's shared and developed by the parties at play by first lying in the perimeter. Yeah, and I love the way it's, in regards to dating, just even hearing Mary, you talk about that out loud, the gray space, not not this or that, but this and that. It is possible if you are in this defining the relationship conversation that I love you and you don't. And it's it's a this and that. And that conversation actually can then be really healthy because it can create those boundaries. It is possible that I love you or I'm starting to love you. And it's and that you're not there yet. That's really helpful information because, of course, that you're vulnerable at that point. But it also gives me, assuming the other person's not there yet, that 
immediately created the boundary. Okay, cool. Like, I'm still here. Like, are, are you on the path to this, do you think? And But now I know how much more vulnerable that I can be. So it very much relates to those boundary conversations. And it is a beautiful way to think about DTR in terms of the this and that perspective. I really like that a lot because I think that's a way to avoid what we call the situationship as well without this in between. I see, you know, I follow a lot of dating and, and relationship Instagram accounts and people post these messages from people that they're dating or whatever. And I saw one the other day that was they were dating for seven months and she and he asked her why she doesn't have a boyfriend yet. And that is just to avoid that confusion. It's so important to bring up the conversation. I think I mean, I always say three months is kind of that pivotal point, I think, where you are going to be in a relationship or you're going to part ways and either way is fine. But you need to know it's important to state your heart because you don't want to get hurt. You need to set that boundary. If the other person is going to come back and say, hey, I've had a really great time dating you. I just I'm not there yet or I don't think I'll ever be there. And I'd rather know that in month two and a half than in month eight, nine, year two, whatever, you know, I think it's just, yeah, it's just laying it out on the table, laying your cards out on the table. Yeah. And and it's definitely like, of course, you're laying the cards out creates that opportunity for pain, right? But, but it's, I think it just even in terms of the breakup conversation that many relationships go through too, is you, you have to be vulnerable. You have to have let yourself be open to pain in order to have and and that valley in order to have the peak of love and the more open you are to that pain the deeper that your relationship has the potential to be and the better love depth you can have too so of course it's going to be really hard and just i mean to me that leads about even what we said at the very beginning i think this the word love is just such a small word that's trying to cover so much thing and, and you know, there's love, of course, in this romantic way, but there's the love in a friend way, too. And I, I really worked hard when I was dating to always think of the love of this person, no matter what. Uh, even if they broke up with me or if I broke with them, I loved them before we even started as a sister, you know, and that that helped me to have really great breakups. You know, not, you know, some friends and they've all life and time go go on but i i'm friends with facebook with every person i ever dated so i think you can end well if we all you're 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 rare david well i'm sorry i'm sure you, some people are listening and they're annoyed like uh, <laughs> <laughs> well i you're like i'm friends with all of them and i'm like i'm friends with none of them <laughs> well that but that you know what that's good too that's a boundary too right, right. you have to love yourself exactly first. and so yes yeah and I, I certainly wasn't perfect, and there's certainly some bumps and bruises with that. Like, I definitely was over vulnerable, but I do think like we've got to get back to reframing what love really is first, and that we can love people as humans first. And when I think about loving someone as a human being, it definitely helps to break up. I want to, if I know that I'm not going to pursue romantic love with the person anymore, as a as loving them as a human makes me have that harder conversation with them faster because I don't want to string this person along for eight months at two months. Yeah. We're just not going to be a good fit. So in love, it's better for me to tell that person, this isn't going to work, but I love, I love you as a person. Like, and that's really important. 
Totally. And I think just since we're, we're here, we're in this breakup conversation, that's my last question, is just about breakups and what is the best way to go about that conversation? I think looking back to my experience, it was super painful to be told that I don't want to be with you over the phone. That was extremely hurtful. It happened after I'd met this person's family and friends. They'd met my parents. That is just, and and had then learned that they were thinking about this for a few weeks prior. So I think there's there's just a lot there. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's really painful. And I'm sure some people, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that for you. And I'm sure other people would prefer to find it that way so that they could process without being in person. Because I think sometimes that shock in person could feel like you're on the spot. When I think of breakups, I think of the amount of times I've, Having employed a number of people and been employed by a number of people, I relate it to the transition between a relationship from leaving work, whatever it may be. And the one mantra that I always stick to is that it's always what's best for both parties. Even if you're the person getting fired or being broken up with, even if you're the person that's initiating it, regardless, it's actually what's best for both parties. And I think that that's one of the things that I always have to rest into, even though it can be painful. And that a lot of times when you're making a decision to break up with someone or you're making a decision to stay at a job or not, that does take time. So it might feel misleading to the person that's the party on the other hand and you feel caught off guard. But It just goes back to that we all have different ways of processing our emotions and processing what we're going to do. And I think that we can try to have compassion for that. But I say that the best thing to do is, you know, to bring it back to like a business analogy. They always say hire, hire slow and fire fast. And I think that it's sort of the same thing. It's like, can you date slow? Can you, can you sort of move through slow? But can you, can you cut the, pull the bandaid off fast? Like if you, once you have that gut intuition, can you have the conversation as quick as possible? How that conversation can be had, I think goes back to all these tips and tricks that we've talked about with just difficult conversations to begin with. So I would lean into to any one of those, but that ultimately, again, like this theme of time, hire, hire slow, fire fast, date slow break up fast. I got nothing to add. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that was, that's a great analogy. And I, I would agree. And I think as the person being broken up with, I would say you don't want to be with someone who doesn't love you the same way or doesn't love you anymore. It's just not worth the, the heartache. You never want to try and convince someone to, to be with you if they're not feeling it anymore you can find someone else who is going to feel it and you will find someone who else is going to feel it. So I would just end with that. But there's a couple just rapid fire questions that I want to end on before we close out. So David, if you want to say how you got excited for a date with your wife. Well, now, especially now that we're on the end of the pandemic, we can hire a babysitter again. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, uh, like, I feel like we can breathe for the first time in a year. So I'm really excited about getting back to, yeah, what hiring a babysitter looks like and getting away. And so that gets me excited. I love that. And Mary, what about you? It's probably the content of what we're going to do. We, we met 
by our love for adventure. So we're big mountain bikers, skiers, and hikers. And so what's what's really cool is is sort of two things. Our four-year-old is like already ripping it on a bike and ski. So we're starting to be able to open up that opportunity, which is easier to access than having duo time. But otherwise it's like, can we can we go back to like being friends? I think sometimes it's like you gotta go back to being friends first, even when, especially when you've been in a relationship for over a decade. Mm, I love that so much. So David, what's your ideal date? Definitely really good food is a big part of that process, you know, and I think that, again, the idea of third place, the the beverage brings that can be a catalyst for depth of conversation. So handcrafted beverages, meals that are made that I can't make at home, and I'm a really good cook, but keep exploring that, that palate, just there's something magical about beverage and food that brings depth. I love that. And Mary, would you say something adventurous? I mean, uh, I have a bucket list yacht adventure in my mind. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm going to throw out my dream. I, I would love to like be on water since I'm landlocked here in Colorado, like being on water on a yacht. I mean, a boat would be fine, but a yacht would be baller. And and yeah, it's just like, it's about food. And to me, I love to dance. So I would love to have dancing be a part of it too. I love that. I do too. Water and dancing are... I'm a romantic. I mean, if I like reality shows, like I also love all the romance. I love anything that's going to make me cry. I'm not going to lie. I dig Aww, it. I love that. So cute. Well, this has been an incredible conversation. And I think the audience is going to have a lot of great takeaways for all relationships in their lives. So thank you both again so much for being here. And where can everyone find you guys? Thank you so much for having us. It's been really, really fun to bring the work that we do to this approach. I think that that was like really exciting for David and I. We Our podcast is anywhere you listen to your podcast. It's called The Third Place Podcast. Every week we publish on Wednesdays and on Instagram you can chat with us at Third Place Podcast. We run giveaways a lot that we're really pretty proud of from some of our brilliant guests that bring together some of their amazing products and services. So that's just a fun way to kind of get an idea of how we bring play to what is otherwise awkward and uncomfortable content. Yeah, we, we've learned so much by doing this and we have so many guests that we've interviewed that are getting ready to publish. Just how do we bring this uncomfortable conversations to a comfortable place? So infertility, how do we use anger in a beautiful way? We have upcoming interviews on pornography addiction, uh, adoption, death, you know, grief, just some really, really hard conversations that I think are really important to have and that aren't talked about very often. So we've learned just so much from so many people already and can't wait to see what comes out this next year. I love it. I can't wait to see what you guys talk about more. And yeah, I've learned so much from both of you today. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode or this podcast in general, I would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate, and review below. And if you can think of anyone who would enjoy this podcast, please consider sharing it. As a new podcast, the most helpful thing is to grow by word of mouth. After all, who doesn't enjoy a good date story? Lastly, if you would like to connect with me, please follow me on Instagram at ghosts underscore of dates past. And feel free to shoot me a DM if you have a comment, question, or would like to be a guest. I'm always looking for new people to bring on to the show. Hope you all have lovely weeks, and I'll be back next week for another juicy episode. Bye for now.